Welcome to the Mystical Motherhood Podcast. I have a friend on today and also a colleague and a doctor. Her name is Dr. Laura Brayton. She and I met years ago and we have kept in contact because I think she's an incredible resource for women in the world. And there's very few clinics or doctors that think the way that she does. So she is all about educating and empowering women um, for conscious conception, healthy pregnancy, an empowered birth, and incredible motherhood experience. And she also owns a, I guess it's called the, it's in Hoboken, New Jersey, but it's a, I would say all women's clinic, probably men go there too, but, but for families, and if you haven't had chiropractic work done for your family, it's pretty amazing. I I did it after my births and I took my children and it just aligns the skeletal muscle system. I don't know what it does, but I felt really, really amazing for a long time and preparing for my birth. I went every, you know, two weeks to a month and it helped the baby drop. Like I, it would drop every single time I got chiropractic work done. So I really, really believe in this. And she also, you know, knows nutrition and supplements and believes in different healing techniques and is, is open to starting new, you know, clinics for IV therapy. And is just kind of ahead of the game when it comes to care and holistic care. So she's on today and we had an incredible conversation about nutrition, about working out, about motherhood, about birth, about her work, about her courses that she offers. I hope that you learn a lot because I always learn a lot from her. And if you have any questions, you can always find her at drlaurabrayton.com. All her courses are on there. And um, she has a preconception course, pregnancy course, and of course, um, probably takes private clients all over the world. If you want to reach out to me and you have any questions for me, go to www.mysticalmotherhood.com or Mystical Motherhood on Instagram is a great way to reach me with any questions, anything you're wondering about your child, yourself, if you're pregnant or not. I love to hear from you guys. I love to hear questions. It's always wonderful to answer them. If you would like to work with me privately regarding infertility, questions around IVF, or healing past traumas, please reach out to me at mysticalmotherhood.com. And also, if you are interested in reading any of my books, Mystical Motherhood, Fit Fertile, and Alchemy of Becoming can be found on my website or on, on Amazon under the alias name Pritam Atma. I hope you enjoy. If you like this podcast, please leave a five-star review. Now, here we go with Dr. Laura Brayton. Dr. Laura Brayton, I'm a maternity pediatric chiropractor in Hoboken, New Jersey, and I'm very passionate about supporting, educating, empowering women, perinatal women. So I love working with women preconception and supporting and cleansing their body, doing a a physical detox, addressing um, communication challenges with their partner, and and really strengthening the relationship prior to the pregnancy, and doing the some of the harder work on growing themselves, um, like, you know, the relationship with their mother, and any challenges that might persist there. And um, really feeling in a good place in all those areas before the conception occurs, because what I find is that makes it so much easier for the pregnancy to evolve and to have it be vitalistic and then create an empowered birth experience and an empowered motherhood. 
Can you give some examples of someone who comes into your clinic? Because Dr. Dr. Burton has created an incredible clinic in Hoboken that is like female centered with, I mean, it's exactly, if I lived closer to you, I would be going there the entire, like, I wish there was more of them. I wish you had sent more of these centers, but how yes. do like, so when a woman comes into you, like, how does she, how does the chiropractic work and, and the nutrition affect her during her pregnancy and, and postpartum? Yeah. So essentially we're holistic, meaning uh, we start with the skeletal alignment and the foundation of, of the structure of that, which is chiropractic at its core and not just the spinal alignment, but really how all the other parts of the, of the body interconnect with each other. So we're looking for alignment. And so chiropractic has the power to address any misalignments in the joints of the spine, extremity, even the skull and the cranium. And by correcting these misalignments, we're optimizing the nervous system connection, how the brain is communicating with the rest of the body and the body and the woman's organs, and then certainly the development of the fetus. We're also impacting her pelvic girdle, the bony alignment of the pelvis and how that is impacted during the pregnancy, the growth of the baby and the weight in that interior pelvic tilt that's created from the growth of the pregnancy and the, and the weight of the breast pulling the body anterior and how we kind of want to balance that out by um, getting her back upright, good posture, and certainly all the holistic lifestyle things like strength training and um, mindful movement and, and the nutrition and the lifestyle um, adaptations of stress management, everything that's going to help support that woman and feeling really good throughout her pregnancy. How much, okay, so I'm, I'm your pregnant mama. So I'm coming in and let's pretend like I don't know anything. How much can I work out in pregnancy? A lot. Okay. Um, and I would, well, let me take that back. It depends on your history and it depends on your current health situation. So ideally a woman who has been working out regularly and has a regular fitness routine before getting pregnant is able to fairly maintain that workout um, because it's familiar to her body, it's comfortable, and um, there's that muscle memory, right? And certainly there can be adaptations. So perhaps first trimester, if she's having symptoms of fatigue or nausea, she might want to scale back that workout routine. Second trimester, women tend to have that burst of energy. They have more to give and they want to move more. So that's a good time to move more. And then perhaps towards the end of the third trimester, there's a lot more weight, you know, 20, 30 plus pounds that are being carried and the body's going to want to continue to move, but not at that same intensity. So I think that's really important to understand that it will change throughout the pregnancy. It will change day to day. I just interviewed a woman on a pod, my podcast about exercise during pregnancy and postpartum. And that can change from day to day. So it's really important to really just, I think, connect to your body and intuit what does my body need today for movement? Is it a gentle walk outside in nature? Or can I do a little more cardio, get my heart rate up? Um, and I find working with like a fitness professional can be very helpful because they can help support you in getting stronger and fitter, which is amazing for confidence and and the empowerment that's needed for pregnancy and birth, but they're also going to help you prevent getting injured as well. And 
From in your practice, what have you seen of the women who work out throughout their pregnancy and the ones that don't work out? How does that affect not only their birth, but also their comeback of health and losing the weight and feeling, you know, even depression? What have you seen? Yes. Definitely. So I would say that ideally, you know, they're going into the pregnancy at a, at a um, optimal weight and then by maintaining normal physical activity and also maintaining a healthy diet, they're going to have a healthy weight gain during that pregnancy, which for most women is around um, 30 pounds, give or take. And, um, you know, when we see women gaining let's say 50 plus pounds during that pregnancy, because number one, maybe they're less active. And number two, they're binge eating junk food and um, foods that have high calories and low nutrient value. They're going to feel a lot worse. We see the impacts with more joint pain, back pain, especially, um, and pelvic pain, groin pain. And they're going to also have issues with blood sugar. So they're more prone to getting um, gestational diabetes. And, and certainly more interventions are necessary. Their blood pressure could be impacted. They could have preeclampsia. And these are things that will create red flags towards the end of the pregnancy and require more medical interventions with um, treatment and, and during the birth as well, and potentially even requiring a cesarean birth. So if a woman's really looking to have a vaginal delivery, maintaining a healthy weight and maintaining um, uh, like a preparing for a marathon, so to speak, is what's required um, for, for, for birthing and labor. And so with gestational diabetes and diet, what does, is there any way to avoid that is what would you recommend? What do you give clients, you know, what's your optimal nutrition day-to-day in a pregnancy and postpartum and, you know. Yeah, I would say I really ideally am, you know, back to that preconception of having that woman detox, clean, get the liver. We're exposed to so many toxins in our environment that we really want to ideally detox those out before the pregnancy occurs because we cannot really do a detox while we're pregnant or nursing after giving birth. So by doing that, we're able to have a healthy metabolism, healthy physical fitness level and routine and habits, right? This is like ritual lifestyle. So when we enter that pregnancy, our pancreas is ideally already functioning really well. And then we're feeding our body high nutritive value foods, healthy fats, um, getting a lot of omega-3s in our diet. We want lots of fiber, lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, foods that are local, they're seasonal, they're organic, they're, you know, so we're minimizing exposures to pesticides and other types of toxins and even, you know, plastic packaging. All these things impact the type of food that we're eating and the nutrients that our body needs and our baby will steal whatever nutrients it needs to make itself and it will leach it out of our body if we're not in taking it into our diet. And so we really want to be mindful that we're needing to replenish the nutrients for ourselves and for this growing uh, baby who has high nutrient needs as well. So having that consciousness that we want to have more of colors on our plate. So we're getting lots of phytonutrients. We want to have healthy protein. So for women that are not vegetarian or vegan, they're getting grass-fed pastured meats, eggs, 
And, you know, we just want to avoid the processed, whether it's meat, whether it's packaged foods, these things all have chemicals added to preserve them, to give them a lifespan on the shelf. And the meats that are um, not natural, that are, you know, commercially produced, have added growth hormones and antibiotics. And these are foods that we want to be avoiding throughout the pregnancy. So by eating that way, maintaining healthy weight gain, we're very, very uh, less likely to develop gestational diabetes. And then for the women that are doing that and they still find maybe from genetic history that, you know, there's members in their family with diabetes, that the pregnancy kind of pushes them over, they're still able to, even with that diagnosis, able to maintain it with diet and not necessarily needing insulin or other medications um, in the end of the pregnancy. I love what you said about eating colors and that's very conscious. Like, I mean, it's so, it's, it's so simple, but like there's meditation you can do. There was this woman who I always mention on the podcast called Lacey Phillips. And one of her things, she, I, I think I've told you. Maybe you I, love her. You talk about I her do. <laughs> She's like so cool to me. Like her work is like, I wish I could create that within the perinatal region. Cause it's mm. these deep hypnosis or somebody should do it. But um, she was talking about bringing colors in, even in like your altars or um, colors within your imagination and colors that even the baby would need, but then it can be done through food. It's like, duh, but I love that. It is. And I would say the more a woman is is really um, in pregnancy is in a great time to really touch into your intuition and the power that you have within to know what is right for you at this moment, as well as for your baby who's growing inside you. So really trusting that intuition and that an easy way to really start developing that is to be like, okay, um, what am I having for lunch today? And don't be like, oh, let me just grab what's, you know, easy in the fridge or like really be like, what is my body craving and needing? And typically when we find that we're craving certain foods, let's say an orange, we need some extra vitamin C or we're craving um, a piece of meat. We're, we're needing some extra iron or, or protein. So like really listening to some of those, and I'm not talking about the craves for like the sugar and the salt and the, and the processed stuff, but the healthy stuff, it's like, really, what is my body needing right now? And eating those types of foods to fill that, that nutritional gap that your body is calling out for. And when we eat more that way, it just becomes more natural. Like this is what my body needs. And they've even shown studies with infants who are getting their first solids. So we're talking six, seven, eight, nine month old babies. You put out a bunch of different food options in front of them of different fruits and vegetables and they will grab the ones of the that has highest nutrients of what their body needs at that moment. So they already it's already it's in all of us. We all have that intuition of eating for what our body's needs are at this moment. And I think sometimes in our crazy busy world, we just forget that and we get into more of the the ease and the convenience of packaged processed fast food. And um, being a little more mindful and, and making that a priority is so important. And then what kind of supplements do you, do you, are you a big fan of supplements? Do you have a brand that you love? Yeah. So I do a lot of work with supplements in my practice. And once again, preconception, we can do a lot from a detox, liver cleanse, 
gut cleanse, gut healing type perspective, during pregnancy, we're going to be more gentle. We're going to be more mindful. So a high quality prenatal vitamin from a, um, you know, that's from a real food source as opposed to a prescription vitamin that's chemically manufactured is going to be better absorbed in our body. And ideally, this is a supplement to a healthy diet, right? Not in replacement of. So even eating the most conscious, healthy diet, unfortunately, we can still have some gaps in our nutrient um, levels. And that's where a high quality prenatal comes in. I have my own that I absolutely love that I created called Mama Plus Baby Optimal Prenatal Vitamin. You can get it on my website, drlaurabrayton.com. And what I like about it is, once again, if you're looking for an ease, like, oh, I want a gummy or which has a lot of like fillers and flavors and colors and crap that we don't want to put in our body during pregnancy, or your OB, you know, prescribes the prenatal, it's covered by your insurance. These are just not optimal sources of a prenatal. And so for the prenatal that I make, we can't fit all of those nutrients into one capsule. So it's a packet, a daily packet, and it's multiple pre, you know, multivitamin, multimineral capsules, along with a healthy omega-3 soft gel and some additional calcium magnesium that's wonderful to help with muscle relaxation and um and and mind relaxation as well but helping with any mineral deficiencies so you know there's a, there's definitely other ones out there but we're not going to find them in a prescription we're not going to find them in a gummy we're not going to find them at our typical pharmacy we're definitely not going to find them at Costco you know, it, this is like, we want to be mindful, like a health food store has some gr- high quality prenatals out there, um, a whole foods, but like sourcing is really important and being conscious of where we're spending our money is really important. So you can certainly get cheaper prenatals, you can get cheaper food, you can get cheaper this and that, right? But we want to pay for quality during, especially during pregnancy and postpartum when our needs are higher and, um, and we deserve that. Like this is, you know, about worthiness and happiness as well. Right. You work with women all the time, not even just in prenatal, but when you see a woman and you work with their bodies, right? Yeah. I have a lot of questions about, I guess, the physical body and, and, I want to go into the emotions it holds, the memories it holds, the trauma it holds. But I also want to talk, as since we're kind of transitioning from food and exercise, if a woman's not pregnant, what do you think, What of all the bodies you've worked with, what kind of exercise have you been like, wow, what do you do? Your body looks healthy. It feels healthy. The bones are strong. Mm-hmm. Like From everybody you've seen, what is the most efficient way to move? Yeah, I would say I do find that strength training is is really important and especially for women because genetically we just have less muscle mass than men and that also makes us more predisposed to osteopenia, osteoporosis and um I'm listening actually to the book right now Outlive which talks about people living to 100 plus and recognizing that women in general have longer lifespans, but we're really interested in health span. I don't want to live to 100 and be in a, a nursing home the last 20 years of my life, right? I want to live to 100 plus and be exercising and moving and driving when I'm 100 years old, right? Like that is health and vitality. And it really does require that at least what I find from my body doing regular strength training exercises to keep my muscles strong, which will also positively impact 
my bone mass, right? And prevent that loss of bone, which we do find can create a lot of issues for older women with um, when, if they develop osteoporosis, then they have one slip and fall and break a hip and, and, and you're dead in a year after that, right? So there's a, an awareness that the stronger we are, the more we can keep doing things for ourselves independently, right? Which does require mobility and it requires strength, like opening a jar and walking a dog and things like that. We want to continue to do for decades, right? Um, that is strength. And, um, and so I find that very valuable. And then of course, some cardio is important as well for the heart health component, but it doesn't have to be extreme. Right. And so I personally find, you know, like I ran a marathon, I did the New York tour in 2010 and it was brutal and it beat my body up. So there's an awareness that some people maybe are built to be marathon runners and some people are not. Um, so I think part of our genetic history, um, our family history also impacts what exercise is best for us. Um, and I also find that there can be some great exercise that are mindful, like, um, and meditative, like some, like a restorative yoga. And there's value with that. If we're feeling over sympathetic and already feel like we're being chased by a tiger, do we really need to go spinning on our Peloton right now? Like maybe we feel like we need to, but then we're just really like that rat in a, in a race. Um, and maybe we're just needing a break from all that activity. Have you seen the Netflix documentary series that this guy did? It's incredible. Look on Netflix. I wish I knew the name of it, but I was watching it the other night and he went, he's just a fascinating guy. He like biked around the world, won some Guinness records. And then he's like, I want to figure out why people are living where they're, you know, held in the hundreds. Maybe it's based on this book too. Maybe it's the same guy, but, and he went to these different islands and he monitored you know their stress level their control level their what how a lot of it was the 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 hundred year olds were getting up and down like they were actually they were living on in one island they were all living on the they're in japan off an island on you know i think it's off the coast of japan they were living on the ground so they had to get up 40 times a day and and they another that's one balance that's balance exercises yeah so they they're had not great- breaking their hips right like they're yeah. constantly challenging their balance and that's something that kills people when they get older yep and another island or another place he went to was in Italy and it was on the hilltop and these and you most of the times you think about all the things that we're trained in America as we get older like don't have stairs and don't live on a hill and try to avoid you know but they live on a hill and they, every day they walk up the hill and they walk down the hill and nobody stops them. Right. And so nobody says that's dangerous so that they have to, you know, cope with their environment and learn, but they all live longer. I mean, that's, there's so much to it. There's so much. I would say that you really hit the nail on the head about not living in fear, right? That applies during pregnancy. It applies during birth. And it definitely applies as we're aging that we just have to have this fearlessness Like I can do this. I did it yesterday. I can do it tomorrow. And I'm certainly going to do it right now. And not being like, oh, is this safe? Because, oh, my birthday's 65 or I'm 85 or whatever. Like you've got the, the numbers aren't in their head for these people that have these long health spans. They continue to keep moving. And, you know, it was interesting because in the book, they talk about some of these people had very interesting rituals of like, 
a glass of wine a day or a shot of whiskey or a pound of chocolate for this woman in France that lived to like 121. God bless. Rode her bike till she was 100 and said the only wrinkle on her was the one she was sitting on. Like this is somebody who's living their life to the fullest. And what I'm hearing is was a lot of joy. There was a lot of happiness. And I think that is really like, yeah, we want to say, oh, I got to eat clean and I got to do the right exercise, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> These things are helpful, but I do think our mindset is is numero uno, the relationships, the connections, the love that we have in our life, the purpose, all of that is why we continue to live. And when we see people who retire and their purpose was say their, was their job, they're, they're dead a few months later. I mean, my dad is actually one of them. He died literally of a heart attack a few months after retirement. So it's just very fascinating to me that, um, you know, the people that are really living and having not just a a long age, but this like vitality with it, they're doing things that bring them joy. And, you know, from the beginning, you've kind of spoken about the nervous system and getting into the nervous system. And I just, uh, I know that healing and being present, I believe, is really when you can be in your nervous system and be comfortable within your body, right? Mm-hmm, right? And so I feel like these people are less in their mind, the ones that are living these long years than, say, your father, who was like always in his mind, always working. And the minute he had to tap into being, when you go into retirement as a state of being, his body's like, I'm not going to do that. I'd rather not. I'd rather mm-hmm. reincarnate, right? Right. Or, and, and that's fine. A lot of people are fine with that. But I think these older people that are living that long, they're in being, which being is like, today, I'm going to walk through the village, and then I'm going to go on a bicycle. And it would things that we would think are not important, but they're just as important as working. Yeah, and perhaps more so. And I do think the other thing is, and this is a big one, is the connection. So in these other areas, you see generations, you see villages, they understand it takes a village to raise a child. And they're very hands-on with the younger generations as a mentor, as a master, as a guide. And um, what we find sometimes, at least in the U.S., is you know, um, grandparents are like, I'm not babysitting. I'm not, you know, maybe I'll pop by for an hour and say hi to the grandkids and I'll pay for their college education. But there's not a true um, really mentorship that's occurring there. And guess what? That's not just valuable for the child. They find that with research, it's anti-aging for these grandparents and even great-grandparents to literally bond and connect with this generation, which it's it's honestly easier than if it's your own child, right? Like there's a lot less responsibility, but there's so much wisdom and knowledge that can be imparted. And when you have these beautiful, loving connections with, um, with, the, with children, I mean, it's just filling, so fulfilling for the soul. You know, on the Netflix documentary, one of the things he found, which was a determinant of how long that people could live was their purpose. And the purpose, of course, you're saying is taking care of grandkids or that gives them a purpose every single day, but they created a purpose if they didn't have grandkids, you know, of gardening. Their garden was their baby. They, they still had to be creative and, and take care of something, caring for another. Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important. Yeah. Um, Volunteering. I mean, there's so many ways to, to do that, you know, So it's just, I think the purpose has always got to be there. And if our purpose 
is just a job, right? And then we and then when we retire and we don't have a new purpose to fill that gap, then why are we still here? What's the point? So another question. In your career, when people when women have an autoimmune issue or they have a pain in a certain part of their body, um, their hip or they their arm or even gestational diabetes or something or diabetes. How do you look at that? I know there's the physical and the physiology, which we know medicine, but how do you explain, well, maybe this is emotional, that maybe this is from your childhood. Maybe this is from the womb. How do you get to that point and how do you help them release it? Understanding these things. Yeah. So I would say number one, the person has to be open to that, which not everyone is. So I think for me as their doctor, I'm have to be willing to meet them where they're at. And if they're really searching for uh, an answer and a root cause solution, then I know I can help them because I truly believe the body has an amazing ability to heal itself no matter what. I don't care if it's a type 2 diabetes. I don't care if it's an autoimmune diagnosis. This is not does not have to be a permanent label. Um, this is a dis-ease within your body. And we just have to remember that it was created by um, everything that occurred up until this point, right? Our physical, our mental, our emotional, spiritual state created this disease. And now we have to do things differently if we want to uncreate it. And continuing to do what we've been doing is not going to do that, right? Like that's the definition of insanity. So we have to sometimes make somewhat drastic changes. And that can be really hard for people. And there could be some baby steps, but if you're really having, you know, a, a debilitating um, symptom or disease, then sometimes there's a fire lit under your butt that's going to initiate that type of change. And so we can look at immediately like anti-inflammatory diet, right? We have to get gluten, dairy, processed foods, um, certainly genetically modified foods. You've got to get this out of our diet. It's creating inflammation. It's keeping the fire going within our body and all, all disease has some version of inflammation, no matter what organ that we're looking at. Right. So we want to look at, okay, maybe, maybe if it's diabetes, we're talking about the pancreas, but we're not just looking at the pancreas. We're looking at the whole body and how it's all connected and working on it systemically on lowering that inflammatory load. Um, how many chemicals are in our environment? Are we cleaning with toxic cleaning products and using toxic skincare? How is that creating this ongoing inflammation? And it does not matter what the diagnosis is. All of these types of shifts in our lifestyle will help our body initiate the healing process. I also truly believe chiropractic adjustments by optimizing that nervous system connection will help the body heal as well. So what we're doing is we're looking at removing any barriers or blocks to that self-innate healing experience that the body just knows. And if it's not able to do it, we need to support it so that it can. And how do you hold space when somebody is beginning the mind-body connection and they've always lived from their mind and they're dropping into their body for the first time because either an emotional situation occurs, an actual, a physical thing, or you know their actual body is speaking to them through sickness. What happens when they begin to feel and how do you hold space for them to feel like a past or present emotion? Right. So it's interesting as we're talking 
Number one, and I'm I'm going to sound like a broken record, but when I have a new patient come into my practice, they've never received chiropractic adjustments. I find that after their very first adjustment, it's easier for them to start making those lifestyle changes. And it's very unconscious, actually, but they're going to like start like, oh, I'm going to eat something differently tomorrow and I'm going to move a little bit more tomorrow. And part of it is probably because they're feeling physically feeling better and the, the pain that brought them into their office has lessened and minimized, but there's also awareness. They're, they're more in their body because they're in alignment, right? So alignment really helps with that mind-body connection. And then things will start to come up where we'll talk about like, um, I don't know. I mean, I can give you so many examples of like the symptoms began during childhood, right? And it's like, you've had this these symptoms for decades. What was going on in your life when this began? right? I'm always curious in that history, like when this, these headaches started or this back pain started or whatever, your menstrual cycle was irregular and painful and in, in, for, you know, there's fertility challenges. What was going on in your life back to the emotional, you know, and sometimes they're conscious of it and they could be like, oh yeah, this, this happened in my life. Like my parents got divorced or I started a new job or whatever, Um, but sometimes it's unconscious as well. And what I find if it's really a deep unconscious, you know, belief system that's creating this disease within the body, there's some really cool modalities out there that can help help a person tap in. In my practice, I use site K so we can ask, you know, where are the subconscious blocks um, that are preventing this healing emotionally and physically. And I also have an amazing hypnotherapist in my practice, and I'll refer to her for some of that deeper work. A two hour session can really, you know, clear a lot of shit out of the way and, and just open up the space for healing. And this is something that can be done preconception, pregnancy, postpartum. It it could be done at any time. Any woman who's had a traumatic birth experience and is now pregnant with another baby, I always recommend doing some hypnotherapy to help clear that past trauma so it's not brought into the next birth. Um, because it's almost like with our subconscious mind, it's a, a trail, a, a, you know, a trail, tra- a track in our mind that's playing over and over and over again. And we just repeat that with the next experience instead of, um, you know, uh, changing that story. Yeah. I'm a big fan of hypnotherapy. I'm always a little bit nervous to go with somebody I don't know, you know, because I don't know what they're going to do, but it's so powerful. That's why it's so powerful. I brought up Lacey Phillips earlier. Is it, it's essentially, you know, subconscious hypnotherapy that you can do at home. Right. And there's so many out there for, you know, there's hypnobirthing, there's hypnobabies, Um, you know, there's different programs that are available. I do find though, if it's a very bigger, like a a big trauma, whether it's trauma from birth or trauma, like a trauma from childhood, like sexual trauma, you know, really massive traumas, it's good to work one-on-one with a professional because they can really create a safe space and, and work with you one-on-one on your specific individual challenge. Um, I find that's probably the best way to go as opposed to like a a general program. And do you know the trigger points in the body where the traumas are all trauma? This is a crazy question, but like, let's say somebody has a trauma. Is it, has anyone ever mapped out where that would live within the body and cellular memory? That's a good question. Um, 
There is some muscle trigger points that hold different things. And then certainly with Chinese medicine, we know organs are associated with different emotions, like the liver is connected to anger, the kidneys are connected to fear, the bladder is pissed off, right? So, and then certainly if there's um, an emotional heartbreak that actually can get stored in the physical heart. So there is some connections with that. And um, and then certainly if the trauma was in a certain part of our body, then that's probably where it's stuck, right? Because it's actually, there's physical damage to that part of the body. And then it holds that emotional damage as well. Um, so it's wonderful to work on all those layers. You know, in my practice, I'm working on the skeletal alignment to help the joints heal. I'm working on the soft tissue, the muscles, tendons, ligaments around there and um, supporting that cellular regeneration and healing. We have some tools now using uh, high-frequency alternating current to help heal soft tissue and scar mobilization, which is great post-C-section. You know, scars hold a lot of trauma and toxins as well, uh, whether it's a surgical scar or uh, any type of, of trauma, right? So this is this is a real thing, but we can heal it and we can support the body in healing so that it doesn't have to be so stuck. If those scars are in certain meridians, that can create a, a block in the flow of chi or energy of our body. And that's really what's giving us vitality and health. So back to when you said just even one chiropractic adjustment can get people, and it's hard to say if, if like, oh, they entered into your your energy field. And then so because this is what you live and breathe and actually do every day, did you give them, did you transfer something to them to get them going? Or did does the chiropractic adjustment, you know, you never know if like, there's a saying that the healer is the cure. Mm. Like it doesn't even matter what the what the healer does. Modality is, yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter what the modality is. It doesn't matter if they're just talking or it's like it's the person that's the cure. And then you're attracted to the cure in that way. And then that'll start the, the healing process, which is often not, you know, everyone wants to heal and they just want to say, like, just take it out of me, just heal. But you actually right. have to go through the journey of the process of of healing those things. Yeah, I mean, there's a placebo effect. It's it's a real thing. I find our minds and our belief systems are the most powerful healing modality we have. So if somebody walks into my office believing I can help them, that helps a lot <laughs> um, and, and vice versa. And I do see this as well. If somebody walks into my office and they're like, I don't really think you can help me. Then I'm like, well, I agree. You're right. I can't. So, you know, it's, it's all of the above. And I will say that the, um, that is very important, but I still believe, um, and there's not, you know, there's no double blind placebo studies out there to show how chiropractic adjustments help the body heal. But it's just with so many chiropractors out there all doing these different, even different types of chiropractic. And we all see people essentially restoring balance to their sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system. And we see that healing comes from that. So it's really, that is also very powerful. But, um, and then the education, like we talk about their diet, we talk about their stress levels, we talk about things. You know, I have patients say, oh, you're like my therapist. And I'm like, no, I'm your, I'm your educator because I'm talking to you about your specific lifestyle. I'm helping you identify areas that could use improvement. And I'm encouraging you. There's a little cheerleading involved to encourage you to make these shifts. 
But I always tell them, I'm not going to your house. I'm not cooking your, your meals. I'm not making sure you're, you're moving your body. Um, I, that's up to you. You know, this is your body and you have to care more about it than I do. That's the bottom line. And in your practice, how have you helped? I know that menstrual menstrual cycles are one of the biggest issues for a lot of women, you know. Yes. It really shows their their health in a lot yes, of ways. It does. How, how do you work with menstrual cycles? Yeah. So this has been, you know, 20 years of practice. This has been an evolution for me, honestly, because I had a history of um dysmenorrhea or painful heavy periods. And um, was on such a quest to heal my own body and recognize um, like why this was occurring and honestly was occurring since I, my first menses. And um, actually, this is a really interesting story, my own personal story. So I was doing all these things holistically because I felt like every month I had such horrific, painful cramps that I was needing to take Advil. And as somebody who just avoids medications in general, even in over-the-counter um, and said was something that I really did not uh, like putting in my body, and especially on a monthly, like I was like dependent on a monthly basis in order to function. And I, you know, I was like, I'm not going to not go to work. I'm not going to show up. I'm not going to stay in bed all day with a heating pad on my abdomen. So there was a little bit of that push through to keep doing what I'm doing, no matter where I was in my cycle. And this is not normal. Cramps are not normal. This heavy bleeding, the clotting, the cycle being, you know, longer than 35 days, all these things, the PMS symptoms, these are all not normal. They might be common, but we have to separate what common and normal are. So I tried a lot of different things in the holistic world and I would get some benefit, but it wouldn't necessarily like sustain itself, right? Vaginal steaming, certainly chiropractic, acupuncture, you know, doing all types of herbs to help restore female hormone balance. And, and then even doing some work on the um, family generational things with the uh, women's lineage in my, in my family and how that might've impacted my menstrual cycle. But I will tell you, there were two big shifts that I noticed the biggest change. One was working with, um, I don't know, it was some, I think it was like a, a psychic or some sort of reader. I was doing a reading on, and she was talking to me like, let's talk about your first period. And I was like, oh, yeah, my first period, I was 13. I was traveling. I was at my aunt's house. And they're like, no, that wasn't your first period. I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> and this was the crazy thing. I had started my period, first period, a year prior. It was scant. It was like dark, like brown, little blood. And it was barely anything, right? And I showed my mom my underwear. And she said, that's not your period. And she dismissed it. And so I said, oh, I didn't get my period. And it literally took a year later to have a full, heavy, you know, normal flow, we would call it. And that's what I equated as my first period, along with my mother and um, obviously everyone else in my life. So that was like, that was like, wow, the power of the mind. And as mothers, how we impact and shape a young woman's belief system about what her what's going on in her body, right? And that was just my mom being ignorant and not knowing like that was my first period, right? Instead, of, there was no celebration. There was no, you know, the sh there was a lot of shame, all the things that she had learned from her mother and her and her mother before her. So I've actually been really feeling called to now um, create an event. I'm actually hosting in Hoboken 
um, next month with a psychotherapist about young women age 11 to 16, their first menses, celebrating entering womanhood. What does a normal period look like? How do we support that? How do we not put our young girls on birth control pill to mask the symptoms of dysmenorrhea and create all of these side effects that come along with being on the pill for you know years and even decades of their life before they decide they want to become a mother themselves. And so I'm feeling a, a strong calling to that because that's really where for a lot of women, if they're in my office now and they're 35, they might have been on the pill for 20 years and now they want to get pregnant. And number one, they've never had normal, healthy menstruation. And number two, they have all of the side effects of being on synthetic hormones. And yeah, there's going to be some fertility challenges at that point that could have been prevented. A hundred percent. It's a huge topic. And you don't really talk about it until you have issues in it. Right. right? That's why we have to get in front of these young women. And, and really be like, this is this is something to celebrate. Your first menses is a big deal. And this is, and like, can we celebrate this? I guess, I don't know. No one ever told me, you know, when I first lost my virginity, like you need to get on birth control. I just knew. And I, and obviously I want to do better for my daughters. So right. it's, it's like the talk of you wait till and I do believe it's better, to, you know, to not have sex before marriage. I do. I really do. If you think about all the, the horrible the mistakes you can make, you know. Right. <laughs> right. So like, There's a lot we, of mistakes available. How do we balance, you know, what we what we know about the menstrual cycle and honoring it and, and fertility, but also women that are, you know, sexuality as well. Yeah. Cause it's, it becomes intertwined, right? Once a woman is now fertile, which is her first menstrual cycle, right? She's ovulating. She could become a mother herself. And in this current time, you know, women are, we're not, you know, there's no 12 year old brides that we're celebrating. Like this is not our culture. We want our, our girls ideally to not get pregnant before they're ready. Right. And that typically might mean finishing high school, college, even perhaps even being in a career for a while before they're ready to make that choice and decision. Right. And, um, but they have to know what that means. They have to know how do I get pregnant and how do I prevent pregnancy and what are non-hormonal options for preventing pregnancy. And I know with my upbringing, with a very strong Christian upbringing, I was just taught you wait till you have sex till you're married. And that didn't necessarily work for me because I just felt like I have to hide when I lost my virginity at 17. And I Literally, my boyfriend drove me to the clinic to get birth control pills without parental permission and out any um, input from my mother. Like, that's not what I would want if I had a daughter, right? I would want to have this open communication where there isn't shame and judgment. And, you know, we're having a conversation. I know she's not an adult yet, but there's a, I need to still have this independence and trust that I'm cultivating in her and that I would want her to be able to come to me and talk to me about this. These are major life changes. Getting a period and having sex are like things that we want to be involved in, in our children's life. And like, what does that involvement look like? Right? Like it's, it's right. a delicate it's, balance. It's a balance between not creating shame and guilt and also not, you know, ever teaching lies. And I really right. think lies 
take away your power, they take away your integrity. And so many people, your mother was living in ignorance, was just essentially like a large lie and it takes away her energy, right? Yes. If you can teach your children from every single moment of, or even if you catch yourself lying, like I, I just, I lied. Let me tell you the truth about this or let me, and even in our reactions and our emotions of, oh, I, I yelled last night because I was feeling this. But if you don't tell them the truth of why you were reacting that way, they're going to be like, it's all about just being truthful with authentic, right? Authentic and, and yes, totally. And I love that you said that because we're going to make mistakes. We're going to yell. We're going to, things are going to slip out of us. Like you said, like a lie and be like, oh my God, that was my programming. That's what my mother used to say, or my father used to say. And it just slips right out in these parenting um, lessons. And ideally we catch it. We're conscious, we're aware, like, okay, this happened. And we repair it and we, and we do damage control where we're like, you know what, it might be immediately, it might be the next day, but there's an authenticity of, I'm sorry, I, you know, this is why I said this or did this or whatever. And we're modeling that number one, we're not perfect because we're not, and it's okay if our children are not perfect. We do not expect perfection. And when we catch ourselves making a mistake, we, we fix it right? We own up to it. We, we say we're sorry and we do better. And we learn from it by that too. Cause if a pretend it didn't happen, then there's no lesson. With your menstrual cycle, did you ever try progesterone in day 14 through 28 to help with, you know, any pain or heavy bleeding? I didn't. And that would have been um, very helpful for me because I think that would have made a big difference. Um, I will say the, I didn't mention the number two thing that totally shifted my menstrual cycle. And that was, um, giving birth, (laughs) which unfortunately I didn't do until I was almost 40. So I had many, many, many years of challenges around my menstrual cycle, but now I'm, uh, six years post birth and my menstrual cycles are so much more normal and healthy. And I almost felt like my son just leaned out my womb And it was like a fresh start for me. And um, it's just been transformative. I hadn't, I have not had to take a single Advil for any of my periods since um, giving birth. And even that first one, it was heavy. It was a heavy period that, you know, postpartum period, but it wasn't that those horrific cramps. And certainly now the flow is normalized and all the things. So I know we see certainly women that never um, are never pregnant tend to also have these heavier periods ongoing up, especially up into their forties until menopause. Um, so there is a biological component to that for sure. But I also think a progesterone deficiency is a component. And I know for me, an estrogen dominance was a component. And what we find if we have too much estrogen, which is not just what we make in our body, but also the xenoestrogens found in our environment that mimic estrogen, then we'll create that imbalance of the estrogen progesterone ratio. So I did a lot like with um, DIM and other herbs to help with the estrogen dominance, but I probably would have benefited from like a topical progesterone cream as well, which I now use in my practice with women. Um, but unfortunately I didn't know about it. Um, yeah. You, have to be a little bit, you can gain, you can gain weight with pro- taking that. I mean, some, but it's not directly because of the progesterone. It's because you're changing the estrogen within your body, just so everyone's listening. And when she's talking about a supplement called DIM, DIM is when you take that, when you have too much estrogen, it basically takes out the estrogen from your body. So don't go grabbing it 
without finding out what's really going on in your body. No. Oh yeah. This isn't self-prescribed. Yeah. Yeah. And then, um, estrogen goes up and down within your cycle and it should, um, and even throughout the day, even honestly, it's like, you know, even testing the levels, like you'll see a lot of doctors that are like, let's test your levels. Let's do the Dutch test. Let's do these things. Those are all great. And the Dutch test is really expensive and it's really, in, it sounds very intelligent when a very intelligent doctor breaks down these things, but in reality, they go up and down all the time yes. and they should really be treating based on your symptoms, yes, not based on a random lab value that can change. Even though the Dutch test says it's so important that there's a lot of controversy around things like that. I will say that the difference with the Dutch test is it's a dried urine. So you are literally capturing your urine several times throughout day, you know, 19 through 22 of your cycle, somewhere around there. And it's um, much more accurate than a blood test, which is just the one-time draw and could certainly be done any time throughout a woman's cycle, right? So it is more um, quantitative, I think. But to your point, symptoms are, are the most important to manage. Well, when a doctor gets that, I worked in integrative medicine for a while, and when they get that test, they're going to pretty much do the same thing for each patient. I hate to say it. Like they have a, they have a, pers- that's most of these practitioners. They have a prescribed thing that they do. There's not that many options. There's the progesterone, there's the DIM, there's Vitex, which you can take always. You should always start with Vitex as a simple herb. It's chase berry. Right. Then there's the diet. There's all these things. So it's almost like try the things first. And, and, and because the Dutch test, they have to test they have to do, they have to pretend like they're basing their, you know, their prescriptions off a test. That's what mm, doctors do. It's but the reality, the truth behind the thing, and they have to make money somehow. So they have to test you and they have to come up with some numbers and then they create a story and then they give you the same prescription they gave the last person, to be honest, most of the time. It's not too That's, different. Wow. And so, you know, you can basically prescribe based on it's like when somebody some practitioners treat a thyroid based on a number and some practitioners treat a thyroid based on the symptoms and a little bit about the number right it's, it's, it's analytical th- thinking versus actual treatment and knowing patients and just knowing what works or not so that's a yes. whole subject that is I will say I do use the Dutch test sometimes in my office but I do like I for when it comes to prescribing supplements, I'm muscle testing. So I'm interested in what supplement is testing strong on this woman's body at this moment. Where are the needs? And then we need to recheck that four, six weeks later. And I muscle test the dosage. How many weeks do we need to do a follow-up? There's a different body that walks into my office four weeks later being on this protocol continuously twice a day for a month that's been customized and individualized for her body. And then those needs, her body's needs have now changed. So the supplement needs will change, right? And her whatever's going on in her life has changed. I have one woman I'm working with with perimenopause and she comes in and we get her on some supplements and her hot flashes improved, her sleep's improved, her mood's improved, she's feeling great. And then she's got this massive stress event and she's looking like cool, calm, collected. I got it. I can handle this. But inside it's like she's under some massive amounts of stress that are of course going to impact her hormones. And then she's like 3 a.m. every night I'm waking up with these hot flashes. And I'm like, you know, we got to do things a little bit differently because there's some different factors going on in her environment and her body is now changed. And, you know, all of these things are impactful. Um, so, 
it is really fascinating. And with even lab ranges, there is a range. And the reality is, is if it's not a functional range, it's looking at, you know, the regular population, which may or may not be healthy. And what are their numbers, right? And then you're looking at this bell curve. And I'm not interested in what people on the outside, like with their health, if they're not healthy, I don't want to be their number, right? I want to be in the optimal functional number for my body, which also might be a little bit different than the woman's body next to me, right? So I think there can be great information from labs. And also, we really want to be interested in how we're feeling and how we're functioning and how we're um you know, like all of the things, especially with our our mindset and our purpose, like how how are we doing in that area of our life? And if we're thriving, then I'm pretty confident that the body is thriving as well. It's just, they're so connected. You know, with the Dutch test, one thing I found that it does either eliminate really, really successfully is adrenal fatigue. It eliminates, if somebody's like, do I have adrenal fatigue? Do I have adrenal fatigue? It shows that if it, there's a something called the cortisol, you guys can Google it because it's a little bit bigger of a subject, but it's called the cortisol steel within the body. And it's basically stress will steal hormones and then it affects hormone balance within your, within your system. It's a physiological yes. description, but it's Google the cortisol steel. Um, but this test will show that cortisol steel and adrenal fatigue. And then, then that can really be worked with. So if that's a fear, I feel like Dutch test is excellent for that too. And I will say most women, um, type A driven women, at least in the tri-state area of New York, where I practice have a version of adrenal fatigue or exhaustion, right? And this could be even preconception. This could be even before they become a mom. And now they're a working mom and all the stress and they're married. And there's so many stressors with these life changes of being a wife, a mother, and um, producing in a, you know, working out of the home environment that could be potentially very high stress, you know, high expectations. And it's like, how do I have it all, right? As a woman, well, if we don't really maintain maintain a healthy self-care ritual, our adrenals will suffer. We will get depleted because we're in that chronic fight or flight. We're in that oversympathetic state. And that's where our adrenals start to burn out. What I've also learned recently um, regarding the perimenopause, which by the way, I have a lot of women in my practice that I took care of during their pregnancy and now they're perimenopause. Like if, especially for older women, like it comes quicker than you realize you're done having your babies. And now you're like, oh my God, my hormones are now perimenopause. And that's several years before we have our last menstrual cycle, right? Where there's these hormonal changes, but the most perimenopausal symptoms are related to the most deficient adrenals. So because as our ovaries start getting quieter in perimenopause, we're still ovulating, maybe not every cycle, we're still getting our cycles mostly every month, but our ovaries are starting to quiet down as we head into menopause. And that's where our adrenals start to um, supplement that ovary, ovary um, diminish. And, and that's where the women that have the least menopausal or perimenopausal symptoms are the women that are supporting their adrenals and um, and really having that nervous system balance. So lifestyle, ladies, it, it's real. These rituals that are really helping us stay in a parasympathetic state and getting us out of this oversympathetic fight or flight, fear, stress, anxiety, worry, this is really where we're going to be living um, that juicy vitalistic um, health span. 
You know, it's just, as you were talking, I was thinking it's just when, you know, when people are, they all of a sudden they're like 39 and they're like, I'm going to have a baby now. And then they go from living the same life to just suddenly thinking they can get pregnant. And it's the same with perimenopause, these transitions I'll give a smaller example. I try to give more supplements or more health benefits around changing of the seasons. You know, maybe during the summer, I may like forget about things. And then when the seasons start to change to my kids in particular, I'll be given the Shagan Prash and which is a, a great Indian, but you know, from botanical, whatever brand or certain, you know, I'll give them extra vitamin C or I'll give them all these little berry. Yeah. Or, or, and, or, What's the the spray? The bee colloidal spray. silver. Yeah. Oh no, the bee spray, bee pollen. Oh yes, like manuka honey. Yes, propolis. Yes. And I just do it, and I notice they don't get sick, right? But it's the same with us. Just as I'm close, as we're closing here, to remember that you know fertility doesn't happen the next day, and perimenopause. It, it's prepare for you know menopause is a ten year process, and you need to start preparing at 40, in my opinion, every single day you're training like you would be training in a gym of I'm going to make this be a really elegant transition. Mm. And for fertility, we have to teach our girls, you know, and males, but this is a transition period. You don't just automatically jump into it and hope everything's going to be great. You know, you're going to have a break. It's, it's so true. And then the same thing with a postpartum woman. We're not bouncing back into our pre-pregnancy body and doing all of the activities we did before the pregnancy as we're healing and recovering, especially during that fourth trimester. And I think some of those postpartum mood disorders are very much linked to this loss of our former self, right? Like, oh, I can't hang out with my girlfriends and go out for a drink, you know, twice a week now that I have a newborn, right? <laughs> or, or that I'm pregnant or whatever. And, um, we, and things are different. There is a change. And so, you know, there could be, a, I think processing that change is very important. And if we can celebrate some of these changes, like I can't do that, but look at this amazing, beautiful baby that I'm holding and I have an opportunity to connect and bond with. I can't connect and bond with this baby if I'm thinking about like all the things I can't do or all the losses and the grief, right? Like all of that, like how do we balance that like my, um, this is different. This is new. This is overwhelming. This is intense. And, um, you know, this is, I'm so, you know, I wanted to be a mother and here I am. And this is such a blessing and really adjusting because this is life cycle, right? Like this is something that will continue forever where every life cycle is different, right? So how do we, how are we adaptable? How are we able to kind of adapt as our life is changing? And the more adaptable we are, um, you know, the better we thrive. How can people find you and your work and prepare for pregnancy if they don't live in New York? Right. So ideally, if you're in the Hoboken area, you come into our practice, Hoboken Family Chiropractic and Wellness. You can find us at hobokenchiro.com and on Instagram and Facebook. But if you are outside of the area, I am on um, drlaurabrayton.com as well as Facebook and Instagram giving information and tips about 
preconception pregnancy postpartum. And I have um, a preconception module that women can watch and listen and learn about the work that can be done to help prepare for this conscious conception. I have a pregnancy module that's going live any day now. So ideally it will be there on the website when you're listening to this. And then I have a postpartum module coming out soon. And I also have my documentary of my own pregnancy and birth experience uh, living on the website along, along with my prenatal vitamin. So I do feel like it's important to surround yourself with positive birth stories, positive pregnancy stories. You can learn a lot from women who have had positive experiences and you learn what are they doing that worked for them. And then you take what works for you and you leave the rest alone.